Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you're new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, or just tuning in to see how ter- certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. Allow me to introduce our Keepers of Mysteries for this evening. Uh, I am Keeper Jen, and with me is Keeper Bob. Hey, everybody. And I'd like to take this moment to remind folks who are watching live that we do have channel points on the Twitch channel here um, at uh, twitch.tv slash goodmangamesofficial. Uh, feel free to use those channel points for free uh, random trivia facts or uh, yeah that's probably the best thing to get from Bob his jokes aren't always clean uh, we also have some giveaways coming up later in the hour so be sure to stick around for that and tonight we are delving into a work by uh, none other than John Steakley and Bob I will let you take it away the planet is called Banshee. The air is unbreathable, the water is poisonous. It is home to the most implacable enemies that humanity in all of its interstellar expansion has ever encountered. Body armor has been devised for the commando forces that are to be dropped on Banshee, the culmination of 10,000 years of the armorer's craft. A trooper in this armor is a one-man atomic-powered battle fortress, but he will have to fight a nearly endless horde of berserk hard-shelled monsters, the fighting arm of a species which uses biological technology to design perfect, mindless war minions. Felix is a scout in 18-2. Highly competent, he is the sole survivor of mission after mission. Yet he is a man consumed by fear and hatred, and he is protected not only by his custom-fitted body armor, but by an odd being which seems to live within him a cold killing machine he calls the engine. Armor is the story of humanity's war against an alien race whose foot soldiers are three meter tall insects referred to as ants. It is also the story of a research colony on the fringes of human territory, which is threatened by pirates. The two plots intertwined and finally join at the end with each providing answers and insight into events of the other. And for once, Jen did not do the audio version of this book. And I'm really happy about that because there are some capitalized terms within the story that I would have really missed out on, I think. But, Bob, I know this is one of your all-time favorites. This this is one of my all-time favorites. But (laughs) before I get into that, we've already had a redemption for a random joke or random fact. So... uh... (laughs) So yeah. I will give I will give a, a random fact <laughs> that a a prankster in Paris once bet his friends that he could lay down on the streets of Paris for a half hour during the busiest time of the day without being run over and to do so safely, and he did. He drove his car. He stopped it. He popped his hood. He crawled under the car and he remained there for half an hour. And that is. Currently, the record for the the longest length of time laid on the Paris streets because the cops got wise to that sense. Sadly, I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But it but is, that is definitely a random fact. fact. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> John William Stakely Jr. or Stakely, I always I, I learned that late in life. It's John William Stakely Jr. Born July 26, 1951, passed away November 27, 2010, 
uh, from liver disease. He published his first short story, The Blue, the Blue Nose Limit, in the March 1981 issue of Amazing Stories. He published another short story in Amazing Stories that year, and he had also published two short stories in the Friends of the Horse Clans series. Uh, really? Yes. Uh, the, he, he published four short stories and two novels. Uh, there, there was That's this all? One. Yep. There was this one, and there was Vampires with a dollar sign, which went on to become John Carpenter's Vampires. And I've seen that listed on some some uh, bloggers' personal versions of Appendix N as far as gaming influence, uh, but never this one. Um, clearly, yeah. clearly, people weren't playing enough Metamorphosis Alpha. Apparently. I mean, <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, but uh, yeah, Stakely had kicked around Hollywood. He had done a little bit of screenwriting and a small amount of acting. Uh, he was there for two or three years, and he hated Hollywood with a passion. So he moved home to Texas to live out, and I quote, his childhood dream of being a science fiction author. That's actually pretty awesome. I I, I think so. Yeah. Admit it, you're jealous. <laughs> yeah. He was working on Armor 2 when he passed away. Oh, I don't know how I would feel about a... a sequel to this armor two from the so only a a short sample was was ever released with his permission online before he passed away and it looked like armor two was a prequel um at least at least it dealt it, it dealt with some earlier material in the like two pages that were released uh if it bounced back and forth like uh like the first one did there was no indication because it was too short. Hmm. Intriguing. But yeah, so this is this is one of my favorite books. It is one of two books that I reread annually. So I, I guess I've read it early this year. I don't have to. I don't have to uh, read it <laughs> this year, but I probably will. I might just read it twice this year. That's so. that's really funny. What what keeps bringing you back? I, I absolutely love the story. I think part of part of the reason that I love it so much is Felix slash the engine's attitude, the the angry fatalism, the you know the the combination of fatalism and denial. I'm going to die, but it's not going to be you. It's not going to be the guy behind you, and it's not going to be the guy behind him. And, and that that attitude is just it, it's appealing, but also just the writing style itself. The, this is not a story that glorifies war, right? I mean, it is... That's very true. It also uses some language that I find that I've missed, if that makes sense. I mean, the book was copyright, what, 84? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, first printing is 84. And... I remember a lot of the early sci-fi and, or I'm sorry, fantasy and horror books that I read in the late 80s, early 90s, having very similar uh, language use. This one, the style is a little bit, um, I, I want to say, overly punctuated, if that makes sense, because there would be a lot of fragments, fragmented sentences. You know, things that wouldn't fly in normal uh, literature or normal stories that I would edit, I, to be perfectly honest. That's, that, it, that's totally it, it made it more conversational almost, but it also occurred in times when, like, Felix was having that dialogue with himself. So it, it was um, accept, it, it was a very acceptable use of it. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of the language I... I think to a handful of uh, modules that I've read recently and how sometimes they can always rely on the same words for descriptors. And Stakely doesn't. He he reaches out there to words that actually, you know, vocabulary that made me think. But I, di I didn't have to look anything up. It, it was just one of those, I don't see that very often anymore. Yeah, which is, which is kind of refreshing. I appreciated that. 
it is also worth noting that you know he wrote he, like I said he released two novels. <laughs> Both novels featured characters named Jack Crow and Felix. And funny. on the copyright page of Vampires there is a there's a quote that says this Jack Crow is no other Jack Crow this Felix is no other Felix. Interesting. And so that always left me kind of wondering well were you really that hung up on the names or are you are you trying to to tell us something? You know, are you are you alluding to uh, to a uh, to kind of kind of a multiversal <laughs> view of how these men's lives play out? Oh, that's an interesting take. Uh, I did notice another thing was that so many of the character names began with an F, and. In the second part where we get into Jack Crow, which is told from the first person point of view, which I usually have a little less taste for, uh, a lot of those names started with a G. And it was just kind of <laughs> interesting how those, it, they just kept interchanging. And then you find out that Felix's first initial is G and it, Everything started with either a G or an F, and honestly, it, it took a little bit of slow reading in that first few chapters to make sure I got everybody's names right. You know, it's a little easier in sci-fi and fantasy books when the names are completely different, even if they're bizarre, because then you can associate, you know, just at a glance, oh, that's this person and that's this person. But this way actually made me pay more attention. Yeah, well, and I, I think you know for for those who haven't haven't read the uh, read the book, there are, there are two stories that that are told you know, in parallel. There's the story of Felix, and there's the story of Jack Crow. And in the story of Jack Crow, they have found this old suit of scout armor, and so they're mentally jacking into the armor, and they are reliving Felix's memories, and so it it flashes back and forth, uh, which I, I think is one of the reasons why the first person perspective for Jack Crow works so well, because it really helps continue sort of the, the delay differentiation. Yeah. Right. And, uh, oh, and, and Tony Hogarth has a really good point that people don't smoke that many cigarettes in novels today either. Well, that, that that's true. And, and he also, he also points out that when he's talking, when he's describing things, he describes them without getting into into great technical detail. When he's talking about blazers and blasters, there's a difference. There's names that are kind of evocative. Move on. He doesn't. He doesn't have the need to to break everything down for him. No, it's told in the action uh, what the different effects of each weapon are. Yeah, and it really read especially those first few chapters they really read like something like i was watching a clip from starship troopers or something you know why did it have to be bugs you know well, and let's let's talk about starship troopers for a minute because i have i have long maintained that this out heinlands heinland when it comes to the starship troopers concept i find this uh, vastly okay. superior to heinland's starship troopers which isn't a bad book don't don't get me wrong but i i think this is is much better and with with the way that it it really, like I said, it doesn't glorify war. It attempts to paint a very realistic picture. This is almost like the Saving Private Ryan of Starship Trooper, you know, style novels, in that you're you're in the grit, you feel the mud, you can you can smell the blood. It is it is a very gritty novel in that fashion. Uh, it's it's not just you know woohoo I'm I'm in a war and I'm killing folks it's it really is I'm going to die I'm going to die I'm going to die I'm going to die and uh, and then the engine takes over but you also see there there's those moments right where they're getting ready to use you know, to use a trooper as a bomb and he dies and can't trigger his suit but there's another badly injured man and it's, and he's like, well, we're going to use you. And you know, he's cursing Felix as he's being tossed down the hole to detonate. And uh, it's, yeah, it, it really, it, it really skirts the alignment issues. I think, I mean, I <laughs> well, say, you know, there, maybe, maybe there are, there are no lawful good people in foxholes. 
Well, that that's very, very fair. Uh, it's one of those things where you do what you got to do to accomplish the mission. But even in a role-playing game, I don't know if I can do that to a fellow PC. You know, it, it, I, oh, I yeah, think no. it happened to me. <laughs> but but then you get into the themes. Uh, so there's a really interesting sort of background theme store, right? About how the bureaucracy views things and how at the end of the day, the soldiers on the field are just are numbers. Mm-hmm. That's that's all they are to to the people. Oh yeah, because the brass doesn't know. They've never been in it. They, most of them got promoted because of who their parents were or you know social standing. Very few of them have been in the trenches in the past what thirty years, and nobody knew exactly what they were up against here. And even with all of the deaths, with losing all the troops, it's like they don't care. They're just, yeah, we could still be better than them. Well, in 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 a way, they they don't, and that's and that's sort of the big picture of war, though, right? I mean, you know, the the general who isn't on the battlefield, right? I mean, once upon a time, generals rode in the battle. They don't anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they they sit back, they sit back at headquarters, and so all of the forces that are going out there are just numbers. There is no. There's no linkage. There's no no personal investment in the lives of the people they're sending out. It is just, I have these assets. They will accomplish this task. When you couple that with the complete ineptitude and ill preparedness yes. that, that Felix encounters when it's supposed to be like this small abandoned fort they drop them onto, and it is instead a very very active and populated hive. Uh, you you get an idea for just how, how bad things are. Um, it really makes me wonder if they took those readings at night because it wasn't supposed to be an active area. When the sun was out, the ants were very active. When it was dark and cold, the ants remained underground. So well, how the ants were also was... intelligent too. So it's yeah, it very true. well be a case of just not exposing true. exposing their forces. Yeah, that's right, because they'd mentioned that they had taken out other planets before. And I'm still curious about how that all went down. Um, did they require craft of some sort? Did we just not get to see all of that? Uh, well, and like, yeah, There's a lot of possibilities there. Unlike later on in the book, we have you. They think they're winning because the the ants they're seeing are misshapen and injured or old and like ah, they're running out of forces. We're going to win, and it's not that they're running out of forces. It's that they were putting those out as a decoy while they were burrowing under for a massive attack from beneath. You know, they were they were certainly very intelligent. Um, yes, and and always the odds. Ghost, ghostly squid was was uh, just talking about the survival mm-hmm. calculation. So why don't you talk a little bit about the uh, about the odds? Oh man, it, you're a greener and a scout, and this is your first drop. Man, you've got maybe a ten percent chance of survival. If this was your fourth drop, well, then chances are you've got closer to a sixty to seventy percent chance of survival. And they kept uh, the experienced forces kept trying to tell Felix the odds, like more than yeah. one occasion. Oh, oh, so uh, a four then. You got a 40% chance now. And it's, it's, it's Felix doesn't want to hear this, but he kind of does, and then the engine blocks it out. Yeah, it's, I it's think we should talk about theory. the engine for a second. Okay. The engine is essentially his coping mechanism, right? Yes, yes, it is a rabid, angry coping mechanism. It's kind of a screw the world, I'm not dying today, and he becomes a, a machine. Seriously. Yeah, he emotionally disconnects. Um, I mean, I, I know that a lot of humans also have those mechanisms, but probably not to that degree. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. No, that is that is a that is certainly true. Um, and and even though even though when when quote unquote the engine has taken over, 
there are still those moments that shake him so badly they kind of bring him back to himself. Right. Uh, and toward the end, he's unable to tap in to the engine. The last drop that he is sent on with, was it the, uh, the, I keep wanting to call him the golden boy, but that's really funny. No, it's, it's, uh, you're talking about Ali, the, the Masao, because he, he talks, he talks about, that's, that's when we learned that Felix was oh. once the guardian archon of the planet Golden. Felix was not just a grunt. He was, right. he was interplanetary nobility who, when his wife died, just walked away from everything. And no, I, I was referring to Kent. Um, oh, Nathan Kent. Nathan Kent is tragic. He's, he's the quote unquote golden boy, not to be confused with Felix, who is from Golden. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, and, and Nathan Nathan Kent is almost like he's almost like the tragic Captain America in space, right? He is he is never really put into any danger because he's photogenic and they use him <laughs> for propaganda films. The armor they give him is so overpowered that, that when Felix sees it in operation, he is he is absolutely stunned by the amount of, of power and energy this thing has. But Felix still has to go run point for him. Well, of course. To save him, yeah. Uh, and that, and at the end of the day... Kent leaves him behind. <laughs> well, no, at the end of the day, Kent sacrifices himself for Felix. Kind of. No, no, there's no kind of about it. I mean, Kent, Kent is glazed okay. down so Felix can escape yeah. after you know, the sec their second encounter, not their first. Right. The first encounter, he left him. First encounter, uh, he, he cold cocked him and left him. Yeah, that was uh, that was different. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm. Well, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm, I'm, kind of I'm curious sorry, but it's, the... it's still very fresh in my mind since I literally uh, got to the last page today, and uh, some of the events um, are in slightly different order. It feels. But uh, no, I, I still have no love for the blue-suited golden boy, and it frankly makes me think of the show The Boys a little too much. <laughs> okay, I could I could see that. I could see that. Uh, Nathan Kent, Nathan Kent is Homelander. Uh, he's not Nathan Kent isn't evil though. That's the thing. He's he not as broken. No, yeah. he's he, he is a tragic <laughs> figure. I mean, he the reason he snaps at at Felix is when Felix is like, look, man, she loved you. She always loved you. She told me she loved you. She died in my arms. And, mm -hmm. and confronted with that ugly truth, he snaps. And and that's... Well, that's and that was just in the showers, yeah. <laughs> um, was, but I was going to say, with, uh, with, our, with our folks that are uh, currently watching live, I'm curious, those of you who read it, which, which was your favorite, Jack Crow or Felix? Because... Both really, both really have their moments. And while we're talking about Felix a lot, Jack Crow, cutthroat space pirate, has a lot going for him as well. I couldn't help but think of Captain Jack Harkness at certain points of this as a as the ego ridden uh, Jack, kind of an anti hero. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly, yeah. certainly, Jack, Jack is. He is not a heroic figure by choice in any way, shape, or form. Um, he is. Yeah, he is, he's got the machismo that you, it's hard to identify with. Well, and I mean, and he's. He, we have, you know, at, at the very beginning, and he's like, okay, well, uh, someone's going to come after me. So I'm just, I'm going to break their arm here. It, it's almost that uh, Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes, right then. They swing. I duck. Come up. Shatter three ribs. Grab wrist. Twist. <laughs> break the arm. Um, and and yeah, yeah. So far, so far, I couldn't identify with Jack as a human being. Felix is a little easier to tank. Yeah, Jack is. Uh, Jack is not a great guy. But again, um, he's not supposed to be right. He's he is a criminal. He is a space pirate. He is not a heroic figure, and he sort of. As the story progresses, you can see how Felix's experiences weigh on Jack Crow's mind. Mm -hmm. and 
and sort of change changes thinking on a few things. I was really intrigued as to why Hollis was there with the uh, with the fleet um, as one of the brightest minds in their scientific community. And we never really got to see what he was working on until the very, very end of the story, because he became so engrossed with this suit that Jack offered as kind of a, a, hi, I'm about to screw everyone on this planet over, but here's something fun to distract you with. And, 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 and what a what a distraction it is. Right. It almost becomes an addiction for them both. The days that they have to take off for somebody's funeral or somebody's, uh, what was it, a, a christening. Um, they're still, okay, when we, when can we get back to the lab? When, when can we well, keep this going? It's almost like binging us, you know, our favorite series or something. But, it, but it's more than that. This? But because, it's more than that, though, yes, right? I mean, they're, they're living more. it. They're, yes. they're feeling the emotions. They're getting the adrenaline rush. Yes, they're feeling the terror, and they're requiring medical assistance after every plug-in, and you could really see how this strengthens their friendship, too. It it becomes less of a, a political dance, and it really forges a bond between the two characters. Well, it's three shared aspects. trauma. And so they start referring to it as before and after because it was before Felix and after Felix. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the story, the story it tells you all now, now I got well, I need to ask you this because everybody knows how I feel about this book. I've made it very clear. I mean, we gave away three copies of it in December. <laughs> what did you think of the book? Did you like the book? I enjoyed the book. It had, I was able to predict Felix's uh, past after the first plug-in and i probably wouldn't reread it but i did enjoy it and i'm glad that i read the actual book even though it was 400 freaking pages can we pick something smaller next month <laughs> and and tony there is a healthy relationship in the book the ants are very loving towards one another they're accepting they have kind of a communal existence they get along great um they don't have a whole i don't know their teamwork Kind of sucks though. They don't care if they kill one another in order to get to the humans, uh, and we never see their queen, which leads me to believe they have less in the way of gender equality than the humans at this stage. Well, you, that is true. Gen <laughs> gender equality definitely uh, is. is I was in this book. really floored to read something written in 1984, where, unlike Starship Troopers, there was none of that crap going on with uh well don't confuse yeah. starship troopers the movie with starship troopers the book there well yeah it, it's hard not to but there's always that well like i guess so-and-so's you know going up in rank now who did she that's the like and, and, yeah and yeah. yeah yeah so we don't get that in this book it's just oh this is a woman oh okay cool yeah, and, and, just move on. It, you know, there's barely that pause, and I I dug the conversational bits, all of the gossiping chatter from some of the other troops, and I thought it was fleshed out really nicely. Well, and the the further we get in, as we get closer towards sort of the end of Felix's story. When we're getting the the revelations that that he was the elected leader of Planet Golden and things like that, when we learn about uh, Masao, which you know, it's here it is, it's this incredibly wealthy planet. It was colonized by the Japanese, so there is still this. There are still the kind of these cultural and national divisions among humanity. They're not. They're they're divisions without being divisive. I guess they're. Mm -hmm. In that you know, Ali is is there, and and for you know, troops are there. It's not an us versus them amongst humanity, but when humanity went to the stars, we went in different directions, and and, and Felix and Ali were childhood friends. Yeah. So 
Allie was born into this position while Felix was appointed, elected. He was elected. Yeah. And then then he uh, he turned it away. So it was sort of like he joined the military, much like the, like uh, the French Foreign Legion, right? He had this this past that he was trying to escape from, and as as Jack Crow and everyone are watching this play out. There, there have been no hints at that until that moment. It's just all about, you know, who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this enigma that is Felix? And I mean, even the military can't honestly tell you who Felix is because they keep changing his records. Yeah, yeah, they overused him in drops, so his records were adjusted. Uh, where was that? I actually had it flagged here with the exact stats. <laughs> but yeah, it, he had well, been on the, his 20th drop, but they adjusted it to his 14th. And yeah, because there's no way you've done 20 drops. That's just not There's possible. no way you've been through five major medicals. Just one. Yeah, they, they keep changing. That's why Holly and, oh, um, what what was her, her name? Uh, Laya and Jack couldn't find a proper history on this guy. They they were looking him up to try to find out where he came from. And the records have been so altered that it didn't show the full six months of his time there. So the first drop that they're envisioning, uh, seeing rather, through the memories retained from the suit, they're like, wait, did that really happen? It couldn't have been the first drop because he wasn't even there yet. And so I can understand that conflicting information. Yeah. Well, and and just, you know, he when he finally is so fed up that he's you know, he's he's laid up and he's just laying there, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going. Yeah. No, I'm I'm done. I'm not fighting your war anymore. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna lay here. Yeah, uh, about that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> moments like that, or or the moment when you know, because the engine obviously gave up at that point. Well, or when he's essentially the only survivor and he's laying in his bunk, and so well, you know that entire area has been cleared out. So you're sending in new troops, and the troops come in and they're laughing and boisterous, and they see him and they go quiet because mm-hmm. he's a veteran. And so there's there's that respect that he gets from the troops on the ground that he never gets from the people that are sending them out to die. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, but he refuses to answer any of them. Just a curt nod when asked if he's done this before. Yeah, and finally at the end he he said twenty, and that sobers them all up. They're like, no, nobody survives twenty nobody which is like a clear death sentence now to him and at that point he didn't even care if he died so the engine didn't kick in yeah well and he was just he had he had come to a point where he was so miserable and with everything going on he just he didn't care anymore i think it wasn't the engine didn't kick in so much as while consciously he was declaring his will to live on a subconscious level, he had sort of just given up on that. Yeah. I think he had come to the point where he wanted to die and he was, he was playing out that argument and using, using the engine as, as his scapegoat. I mean, at the end of the day, it's one man's determination over everything else. That is, that is what mm-hmm. is going is just sheer stubbornness. I will also say that besides the obvious Heinlein influence here, I also got a lot of Gardner Fox in that single determination to survive the, you know, that singular human in this weird place. And I really, especially once we start getting into the building of the, um, the bunker, I really started getting a Margaret St. Clair vibe off of it. Oh, really? From from that and from the the lab scenes that Jack was in. Yeah, it it just, sign of the labors, especially. Yeah, I could could see, I I could, uh, 
I could see some Silence of the Laborist parallels, and certainly I can I can see comparisons to Gardner Fox. I mean, besides Gardner Fox's novels, there was all of his comic book work as well. And this story, I think, plays out in a very in a very visceral and visual fashion. Arena, yeah. <laughs> and so and and so it's certainly it certainly kind of ties together that way. Um, I'm really curious about that that prequel. Because there was a comment made, you know, oh, are you from Earth? Don't tell me you're still salty about that South America deal. What went down in South America? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know now. Well, you know, it's just these things, right? Um, well, and I did, I did uh, post the link to the uh, the Armor Two sampler. I dropped that into the uh, into the chat so that folks can check it out. I mean, again, it's. If, if I recall correctly, for our new additions. Yeah, if I if I recall, it's maybe maybe two pages because it was done as a as a sampler of the work in progress. Uh, he was a lot further along, but it was it was never finished, and uh, I think there was only very brief discussion about someone else finishing it, and and it never was. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It, it is and yet it isn't right i mean this is like i said this is one of two books i read every year this is one of my favorite books of all time you can't leave something like you know what happened in south america just dangling well, no, out what, no my my fear is that you know there's a sequel and it doesn't come close to living up to the first it could be just too tropey it, well it could just be eh, you know it could be okay um, vampires isn't a bad book. It, it to me, it doesn't. I don't read. I don't read that book every year. So um, I fear. I I always feared that it had it come out. I would have read it regardless. But I wonder if I would have been disappointed because there is just so much wonderfully targeted commentary about about war, about governments uh, that. I don't know if it really needed a sequel other than commercially. Fair enough. So. Uh, that's a really nice summation, Bob. <sighs> so I don't know as we can, I mean, we could probably go into all the nitty gritty, but it's actually a good read. Um, as, as you could tell, I, I found a few things to mark here. Uh, Again, roughly 400 pages, but a good, solid read. And it's not part of a series, which is kind of a bonus at this stage. Well, I, and I <laughs> With don't everything think, else we've got to read, right? And I don't think anybody in, in the chat has, has expressed dislike for the book either. Uh, I, it's, it's one of those things, when I worked in a bookstore, I always, and I was running the science fiction and fantasy section, I always kept two face outs of this book. Because people would ask what I what I'd recommend, and I would recommend this book. They would take it, they would read it, they'd come back and like, yeah, that was great. What's next? I'm like, well, he only wrote one other, and it wasn't science fiction. Um, so we're going to move on to something else now. But uh, but at least you got to read you know, this this piece of work. Uh, okay. Yeah. And it's it's still like I said it's it's still in print. We gave out three copies in December. That's true. There are a number of different printings and covers and publishers. It's available on audio. It is it is out there and it is going to stay out there for a very long time. And the audio was not bad. In fact, I could actually see re-listening or listening to it now. I tried it first before reading the book, but it just wasn't uh, pulling me right off the bat. I wasn't getting into it. And I realize now... Now, like I said, with some of the capitalized terms for the, their uh, technology, I'm glad I read it first. So now I could re-listen to it as a little production in the background or something and enjoy it while I have a grasp of what's going on already. Yeah, that well, that makes sense, right? Um, I mean, I, I had read the book more than 20 times before I'd ever discovered an audio. So for me, that, that wasn't an issue, right? I mean, this is, yeah. this is a book I just, I know so well, but, 
Uh, yeah. The history prof would like to know if there's a movie version. <laughs> no, I believe is the answer we're looking for. <laughs> but you know, it's, it it uh, it certainly would make for a for a good movie, I think. Well, if done right, I mean, that's true. That's you true. look at Starship Troopers and look at the movie from Starship Troopers, and you you get the idea why why it might be worth fearing a <laughs> film adaptation of. Marvel. Fair enough. But again, this Jack Crow is no other Jack Crow. This Felix is no other Felix. So, yeah, I I love the book. I, I wholly recommend it. And, and it does. It, it draws on, you know, it draws on Heinlein. You can, you can feel uh, the influence of a little bit of Asimov and some of his attitudes in there. Heinlein's attitudes towards, towards war and uh, and equality certainly play through as well. And like just... I said, I, I got a heavy Gardner Fox vibe off of it too. Okay, there's a lot going on with Sanctum in the coming months, so I should <laughs> yeah let maybe know about this yeah, well, before we run out of time in our slot here because our Twitch mistress um, does have other things to do with her week. <laughs> Thank you, Elena, as always. Uh, Sanctum Media, in partnership with Ugandan game designer Ashraf Braden, have released our second and a new line of DCC items. Lukwata, a lake monster that plagued fishermen on Lake Victoria, uh, is available on Drive Through RPG mm-hmm. for a mere one dollar. Included with this release are the rules for three weapons, a full pronunciation guide, three of those technically, uh, and audio pronunciations are also included with this download, as well as a mighty deed of arms, which would be the dismembering attack. That'll be fun to throw at your judges during your next game, guys. I promise. Yeah, so a lake, a lake monster, three weapons, and a new mighty deed. For a buck. Uh, important to note is that all of Sanctum proceeds after drive through RPG fees and whatnot go directly to Ashraf Graydon, the primary creator. This is Ashraf's second RPG release, and the monthly releases will be continuing in the foreseeable future. He's also going to be contributing to Sanctum Sacorum quarterly, and uh, in For those of you just tuning in or finding us um, after some long hiatus, instead of doing an episode companion, we're doing a quarterly zine for you. And that will kind of tie in everything that we've discussed on Sanctum Secorum Reading Room, as well as the Sanctum Secorum podcast, uh, which is on the second Tuesday of every month now. And if it helps make up your mind about uh, getting this $1 zine uh, feature, for lack of better words, uh, life in Uganda is very, very different from ours. And to put it in perspective, the last uh, disbursement of $24, $25 paid Ashraf's rent for a month. So you're really really helping we have discovered we have discovered we've discovered the true way to make a a living as a game designer is live in rural uganda Uh, (laughs) it's 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 tough there i mean Um, i'm a little torn on that one bob (laughs) i mean it's it's not like it's not like things aren't tough all over right it's just that the economics of things are very different a a daily wage in rural uganda is two dollars and seventy cents so ashraf is actually doing well with these with these publications and and is continuing to do so he is he's already in talks with with someone else outside of the the sanctus quorum family, family. Yeah. <laughs> um, to do a full-blown zine of work so he is within he's expanded third, within the dcc third party community. yes within within yeah. the dcc community um so he is he is growing and expanding um we're we already have the uh, the third release is is coming up um is he going to do a module eventually we are going to do a module 
Um, but he's he has had the PDF of the DCC core book for a couple months now, and, uh, and keep and so in we, mind that when he sub when he submits uh, writings to us, they have been composed on a smartphone. He writes them out longhand and then he types them into his phone to uh, to send the manuscripts. So for for larger things like like a, a module, it'll probably be photographs of, of manuscripts. But he's working on a series of Ugandan spirits for Sanctus Quorum Quarterly, and he has he's already begun a much larger piece on Ugandan witchcraft cults which Ooh. will be for a, for a larger separate zine project down the road that he's- That is so about. awesome. And he brings such a unique view to it that you know how much I love this community. I love all of you. None of you can bring that history, that personal history into it. And that specific point of view with the different cultural aspects. And I just love that sort of immersion. Well, so, and it's it's new material that, by a new voice. Yes, that exactly, exactly. Um, yes. Um, hashtag not a cult, right? <laughs> hashtag definitely a cult. Just not a doomsday cult. Uh, that that's true. There's no. Oh, I guess NCC. Just lattes. Doomsday cult. Anyway. With that. <laughs> It is time once again. Elena hit us up. We need to announce a winner along with a pair of giveaways. One for our live audience and the other for all of our viewers and listeners. That's right. It is time to enter the Sanctum Secorum's very own. Prize Closet. Yes. So let's start with announcing the winner of last month's final giveaway, which is a trio of Daw Yellow Spine books going to Brian. Azevedo, I'm hoping I'm getting that right, Azevedo, um, we will be sending the be sending that prize package out in the mail to you tomorrow, uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, so, so there's that, and then moving on, we come to tonight's live giveaway, as a reminder, everyone watching the show live is eligible for both the live giveaway and our monthly drawing, but tonight's first prize is a copy of Gods and Golems by Lester Del Rey, which is a wonderful collection of like four or five science yeah. fiction-ish themed stories. Some are, are very space opera. Some are, are, are really down to earth. I haven't picked that up in a long time, but I really liked Lester Del Rey. It is, it is a great book. As a matter of fact, I took a copy of it with us when we went out to the Vance Mance last month. And <laughs> Rereading it, really enjoyed it. So that is going to go to the live viewer who can first correctly give the answer to the following question. Hmm. While the original Appendix N is the best known of the TSR created lists of inspirational reading, there have been other lists provided by the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. These additional lists also included nonfiction among their recommendations. Which of the following is not a recommendation found in the Moldavay basic D&D set. Ooh. A, Hero Tales from Many Lands by Alice Hazeltine. B, Adventures with the Giants by Catherine F. Sello. C, The Book of Imaginary Beings by Jorge Luis Borges. Or D, Giants, Monsters, and Dragons, an Encyclopedia of Folklore by Carol Rose. Okay, so. The history dropped the gun. gun with B before you even asked the question. And he is sticking with B, Adventures <laughs> with the Giants by Catherine F. Sello, unfortunately is, is one of the recommendations found in the multi-basis. So these are non-fiction words. They're non-fiction. In addition to of, Appendix N. Correct. Three of okay. these are recommended. One of them is not so we've had we've had That's the, for the Moldvay basic set. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I think hey. there's silence because people are going for their going for their Moldvay sets, but you know you can just guess. It's A, C, or D at this point. Yep. <laughs> Ghostly Squid Zero, Giant Monster Dragons, and Encyclopedia of Folklore by Carol Rose was released in two thousand and one. 
which was oh, long <laughs> after the Moldvay Basic D&D set. And that is indeed the correct answer. So Ghostly Squid, you yes. will be getting a copy of Gods and Golems by Lester Del Rey. I like that. The answer's out. Sleepy fingers living up to the sleepy part comes in with C. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, next time it'll be B. I don't know. Maybe out of spite, we're going to make it month, B. <laughs> now, if you're watching the show and didn't win the trivia question, or you're listening to a replay, uh, listening to the podcast, you can still enter to win our monthly drawing by dropping an email to the hub at sanctum.media with your name. Entries should have the subject line, Prize Closet of Mystery. And uh, this month's prize is another book by Lester Del Rey. It is Nerves by Lester Del Rey. Novel-length, okay. So, yes. And uh, so our next show is going to be March 28th. And our live viewers are going to help us choose what we're going to read for it. Uh, before we go too terribly far, I just want to remind everyone that March 14th is the next episode of the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we also have Keeper Mark with us. And we have a very special guest coming on with us to discuss, was it uh, the Jewels of the Elephant? No, no. the Tower oh, of the Elephant. And that very special guest is... Tower of the Elephant. I didn't know if you wanted to mention that. Oh, my goodness, yes. Joseph Goodman of Goodman Games will be joining the Sanctum Socorum for the 50th regular episode of our show. I think that is uh, that is certainly worth mentioning. And oh, we will sure. be discussing <laughs> his his chosen story, his favorite appendix and story, Tower of the Elephant by Robert E. Howard. So that will be in two weeks. In four weeks, meet us back here, same time, same channel, and uh let's figure out what we're going to read yeah um uh, we've got our choice of the broken sword by paul anderson we could do the second book of swords by fred saberhagen since we liked the first one so much yeah we could do the face in the frost by john belairs always a classic or oh i see red nails has been added to the list by robert e howard so that will be up as a poll here in Twitch. As soon as Elena hits the button. There we go. So you can hit the drop down button to view your choices here. Hmm. Oh, the second book of swords is off to an early lead. And you can also use channel points to increase your vote. It costs 300 channel points. So you can weigh your votes. And I'm not proud. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know. Ooh, we're all, we almost had a good split there until people started weighing their votes. I like it. <laughs> I think all of them are good choices, right? I mean, there's there's not a, a bad choice in there. But, oh, no, uh, no. Um, yeah, I'm. It, the second book of swords is is certainly out in front. Oh, oh red nails! Oh, Robert oh. Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard. Oh, oh. Robert E. Howard is nearly caught up to uh, to Saber. Oh. oh, Howard passed Saberhagen. It's it's, it's Saberhagen Howard down to the wire. Saberhagen Howard. Saberhagen Howard. It is Howard. We are reading Red Nails by Robert well, the 56 E. Howard. Fifty six percent majority, which means we contribute. Oh, Ghosty Squid contributed forty two hundred channel points. I love it. Um, I mean, I think we were all hitting that button because with all of these podcasts, we generate all of these channel points, depending on how long we sit in each show or each Twitch channel. So, um, yeah, I, I still have 26, 28,000 channel points. I should have weighed that vote more, right? No, I can't. I can't. Uh, red nails, yes. it is. <laughs> the, the, yes, the, the Sanctum Poll has been compared to a Chicago election, and I think that is a, a fairly a fairly fair comparison. Vote early, vote often. Very often. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think we all have way too many channel points. We need to start redeeming those on other shows. Like, uh, I believe Chris Arneson is our Monday night artist who uh, we can redeem, you know, jokes and facts. And uh, when Brad McDevitt's on, we can do it with him as well. 
uh, I encourage you to hit up all of the Twitch shows that are here. On oh, we've had a, we've had another <laughs> redemption for a uh, a random joke or fact. Uh, Unless Jen wants wrong. to do a joke, I'm going to do a fact. Hmm. What'd you say? Do you want to do a joke? Well, it, you do jokes. I do facts. That's just the way of it. Mm. My jokes are horrible. My, my, jo jokes, are my jokes aren't <laughs> suitable for air. So that will take us back to random facts. Okay. Okay. I've got a great random fact. I've got a personal random fact. How about this? Oh, so, and I can answer an actual question after this. So when, uh, when I met Jen. Oh, boy. Jen, Jen was uh, singing with an Irish traditional group called Ishkabaha. Ishkabaha, of course, uh, being being what <laughs> Americans would call whiskey. It's the water of life, but it's it's what we call whiskey. They were a quintet. I am the Irishman who married a fifth of whiskey. There is there is a very random fact for you. That is quite random. Yeah. And as for why Appendix N is called Appendix N. Well, you have Appendix A, Appendix B, Appendix C. It was literally. <laughs> and that is literally where it falls, uh, particularly in the AD&D DMG. Yes, in the, the first edition uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, Appendix N was Gary's list. I, I don't even remember what the other appendices were at this point. N is pretty and much the only one that I remember. There is uh, the equivalent in the DCC book. Yes, yes, there so is. So if, if you check it out, there's, there's, you know, the creator's choices in there. Uh, like Joseph Goodman, Doug Kovacs, Harley Stroh, the, you know, the, the main three that are credited with creating this book, uh, they all contributed to the Appendix N there as well. Well, and it's, it's really interesting when you look at Appendix N as a whole and you, you then look beyond, you start looking at the other lists that TSR put together. Um, I mean, you know, Bullfinch's mythology is in there. Um, Lloyd, Lloyd Alexander's Prydane series is mentioned in, in the Molde book. Um, in the fifth edition Dungeon Master's Guide, there is an appendix N and they expand on it. Some authors who originally just listed by name now have book selections. It is a, a wonderful listing of inspirational materials and, uh, and, and in the case of the Mole, there's also just a long list of additional authors like Catherine Kurtz and others who were, were very influential to him at the time was, as he was preparing that set. So it is, while Appendix N itself, the, the purity of Appendix N is, is a simple list, the inspirational materials have been added to by <laughs> all number of folks over the years, and there's some great stuff in there. And for inspiration. Uh, yeah, really. Um, and the DCC book, uh, there's a nice big two-page spread on what makes it Appendix N and what makes DCC DCC. Uh, with the actual uh, list of inspirational reading on the following page. And I really, really dig the fact that he... Uh, Goodman follows it up with Appendix O for OSR resources, and that includes events and podcasts and third-party publishers and community forums and websites. And it's, yeah, the, the it really, I just love the way this community is fostered as all. Well. But that's what we do here, right? We talk about Appendix N. We've talked about its its predecessors. We've talked and we talk about some of the things that is spawned. There are, are so many great authors who have inspired and taken inspiration from one another. And, and this is just another wonderful case. And now, you know, next month, we're going to be talking about you know, the, the granddaddy, the, the, the <laughs> author for whom the term sword and sorcery was coined. So we will see you all next month, March 28th, when we discuss Robert E. Howard's Red Nails. Have a great night, everyone. Be inspired.
Sanctum Sequorum Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.